Thank you, Tim. Thank you, praise team. What a wonderful time of worship we have had as we have fixed our eyes on our God. How good and amazing He truly is. And I invite you, if you have your copy of God's Word, you can turn with me to the book of 1 John as we continue our study uh, in 1 John. We're in 1 John chapter 3. You're going to start off in verse 19 and make it down through verse 24 uh, here this morning. And as you're turning there and as you're uh, just getting yourself settled and all your stuff in a row, it always helps for us to have some sense of confidence. We like to do just about everything that we like to do with some sense of confidence, right? We can see that in everything from all, all of our hobbies that you enjoy. You enjoy them a little more when you feel like you can do them somewhat well, right? It's one thing to go out on the golf course, but it can be a rather frustrating endeavor if the ball is zigzagging here, there, and everywhere, and you can't keep it in the fairway, let alone on the course. It's a lot more enjoyable when there's some sense of confidence when you approach the tee and you feel like, well, I can get it somewhere in here, right? It's the same way with just about anything. It's how we function. We enjoy things. We like to have confidence. We like to know that what we have, we can trust. How crucial it is for us to think that way about God Himself. To have confidence in Him. That we would root all of our confidence in who He is and what He has done. And then as we've seen, really unpacking First John from the beginning to all the way where we are, and we've talked about God and God is light and the description of that, and we've talked about the ongoing work of Christ and the finished work of Christ. We've talked about all of what it means to be a family and to abide in, in the Lord and how He's preparing our hearts for His coming. And then, of course, we talked even last week about loving one another and just seeing how God is at work in the midst of all of that. We need to be reminded in the middle of all of what we're being called to in First John where we are to root our confidence. Because in the Christian life, there can be great danger in thinking that we've got to take the reins and do it ourselves. Or that we're to build our own sense of self-confidence and stop depending on the Lord for everything. Let us come with open hearts, ready to be challenged, and ready to grow together. As God teaches us that we must have confidence in Him. Grab your copy of God's Word and read with me, if you will, 1 John chapter 3, starting in verse 19, and this is what we read. It says, By this we shall know that we are of the truth, and reassure our heart before Him. For whenever our heart condemns us, God is greater than our heart, and He knows everything. Beloved, if our heart does not condemn us, we have confidence before God, and whatever we ask, we receive from Him because we keep His commandments and do what pleases Him. And this is His commandment, that we believe in the name of His Son, Jesus Christ, and love one another just as He has commanded us. Whoever keeps His commandments abides in God and God in Him. And by this we know that He abides in us by the Spirit whom He has given us. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we come here today. Many of us rattled by life. Many of us needing the reminder of the strong confidence we ought to have in you. Some here who have never known you and know how sure an anchor for our souls you really are. Father, in this moment now, capture our attention, capture our affection, that we would rest all of our confidence in you, in what you've done for us in sending Jesus Christ to be our Savior 
and Lord. Teach us what it means to know Jesus and therefore have confidence in you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. As we come to this passage, and really in verse 19, he just jumps right in there. I mean, you can even just look back in the last phrase where we left off last week and talking about, you know, that we ought not to just love merely in word or talk, but in deed and in truth. And he just jumps right in there, verse 19, by this we shall know that we are of the truth and reassure our heart before him. And this whole notion of that, how knowing Jesus shapes everything about our lives, the ways in which we interact with one another, the ways in which we seek to love one another, that we're not seek, seeking to love one another simply in the ways in which we define it, but as he describes it here, in deed and in truth as God has defined it. And so as we're living in the truth and we live in the light of his truth, it gives clarity to everything about who we are and how we are to live. Because when you go into the light, you can see clearly. You can see clearly what needs to be done and how you need to, you know, clean up. Many of you, whenever you got ready for church this morning, one of the first things that you did is you went up in front of a mirror and you turned the light on and you're like, that could use some work. And if you didn't do that, we can all tell. And honestly, once you do that, you're like, I feel a little more confident going to church now, right? When the light helps give clarity to everything that we are to do. And notice how he says this, by this we shall know that we are of the truth. That he's teaching us and shaping us that in living and walking with Christ and in knowing Jesus, that all of the, the confidence that we have, it all rests in him and knowing who we are in him. That no matter what happens, no matter what the circumstances may be, whatever else happens in this life, if you are a believer, if you know Jesus Christ as Savior and Lord, you are of the truth. That your whole life is lived on the basis of the truth lived by the truth, and just as Jesus described in John chapter 18, verse 37, he said, everyone who is of the truth listens to my voice. We look to him, and he's the full and final revelation of the truth, and we're like, we don't need someone to say something else. We have Jesus. We live our lives in his word. Teach me by what you have declared. And as the world around us just sort of cascades further into all these mixed up notions of truth without any sort of objective reality, without it being rooted in anything else. And you can see the confidence and everything just being stripped away around us. We're witnessing that. We as believers rest sure in the truth of God. And the truth has already endured. You think of all of the empires and nations and people that have come and gone, and the gospel is still true. The gospel is still the power of God to salvation. God is still transforming lives. God is still shaping people and renewing people and reconciling people to himself by his own grace and for his own glory. And so as believers, we rest sure in the fact that the truth will endure. And see, this helps us think through our own lives because there are times in life where you, you get, you know, maybe you call it a midlife crisis, maybe you call it an early life, I don't know what you call it, right? You get to these moments in life where you're like, is this really worth it? Is what I'm doing really worth it? Well, if what you're doing is of the truth, it's worth it. 
Every time you open God's word and read it for yourself, that matters for all eternity. Every time you follow one of his commandments, just do what he says, and it may seem like nothing. You're just loving your wife. No, that matters for eternity. Every time you sit down with your kids and you're teaching them, your grandkids and you're teaching them the truths of Scripture, that matters for all eternity. We're of the truth. This is who we are. How much more crucial for us to invest our lives in the truth. It is more crucial that we know the truth and walk in the truth and live in the truth than for us to know all the nuanced details of every political conversation that has taken place this past week. To know all the stats of all the sports and all the things that are going on in every place and in every way. By this you know we are of the truth. And see, in knowing that, he says, and reassure our heart before him. The words itself convey the whole notion of persuading us to confidence and setting us at rest in who God is and what he's done for us. It's sort of like bringing us to a point where you can look at your salvation, you can look at your hope, you can look at your forgiveness, and you can look and you can say, well, I'm glad that's settled. And there's just great confidence and joy in that. You think of your, your, all the sin and the guilt and hell that we deserved. In Christ, it's dealt with. And that our confidence doesn't have to be, well, did I do this right, or did I say this right, or did I earn enough, or did I say enough things? No, our confidence is Jesus Christ bled and died for me and rose from the grave. He's our confidence. He's our hope. And our hearts are reassured before him because of who he is and what he has done. You see, when he uses this word heart, and you, I mean, you see it all over the place, not only within 1 John, but really all over the New Testament. It's often a reminder here that we're not simply talking about emotions, although that's involved in that. We're talking about emotions, we're talking about the mind, we're talking about the will. We're talking about all of those things together. Assured, reassured before God himself. The God who is light, who radiates holiness. And you think, well, all I have are filthy rags and unclean lips. And how unworthy I am. And then you think of what he's done. How he called and he cleansed and he washed Because Jesus died on the cross for our sin and rose from the dead that all who believe in him are not only forgiven but then clothed in his righteousness. When talking about confidence, it's all grace. That we can have confidence, we ought to have confidence before God by having confidence in God. Notice what verse 20 says. It says, for whenever our heart condemns us, God is greater than our heart And he knows everything. Whenever our heart condemns us, when does this happen? Well, if we're honest, we know all of our sin all too well, don't we? We live with it on a regular basis. We have all these sinful thoughts and all these sinful emotions, all these sinful desires. We have all this outlay of pride, 
all these destructive tendencies, all this distraction away from the glory of who Christ is, all these opportunities to obey wherein we disobey. And you can hear the whispers of condemnation, the whispers of guilt, and there's great danger in this moment to turn inward. And it just becomes a world of shame. Woe is me. I can't believe I did that. Here I am again. There's no hope. There's no nothing. God has not called us to constantly focus on ourselves. When we hit the ground in our guilt and we feel the weight of conviction, we're to lift our eyes to the God who is greater than we are. That's what the text is telling us. Whenever our heart condemns us, God is greater than our heart. and He knows everything. Take confidence in the greater power. Do you? That God is greater than your mind? God is greater than the sinful patterns that are built inside of your mind? God is greater than your emotions and how you may act and overreact without any measure of self-control? God is greater even than your own will and all the patterns of destructive decisions that you make along the way. God alone is our confidence before God. He invites, he saves, he transforms, he redeems, he bought me by the precious blood of Christ. It's like we come together and it's like we can gather together as a church and we can look at one another and be like, well, why are you here? Like, well, Jesus invited me. That's reason enough, isn't it? He's the head of this whole place. What confidence we have. And knowing that he knows everything. He knows everything about everything. Which also means he knows every thought and intention of your heart. And for the unbeliever, that is a terrifying thought. And for the believer, what a reminder that he knows all of that. And he loves me still. He already knows. There's no sense in hiding all that mess that you like to hide. Not from him. I'm not telling you you've got to wear it on a t-shirt and tell everybody. But you don't have to pretend that you can even hide it from him. He already knows. Rest in what God knows. That he knows it all and still loves us and still forgives and still transforms us. All that stuff that you can think about even last week and be like, I would rather forget that moment. He already knows. And see, in this moment now, God also knows whether or not you actually trust in him. Whether or not you've ever actually repented of your sin and turned to Jesus in faith. And that our confidence rises as we are sure that those who need to know, know. That's how we were with kid, when we were kids with our parents, right? You got some sort of mess that you got yourself into. You're like, I got to get myself out of it. And it's like the more you meddle with the situation, what happens? It's like the worse it gets. And finally, you make such a big old mess of the situation. You're like, I got to get help, right? You finally tell mom and dad. And you're like, there's no way that they could help me get through all this. And actually, they're a lot smarter than you thought they were. A lot more helpful than you thought they were. 
And next thing you know, dragging these things out into the light and letting them know is a reminder what confidence I can have in them that it doesn't come from me. How much more so that God knows the details of all of our circumstances and that he's guiding all these things together for the glory of his name. He knows everything. But isn't it strange when we read this? In verse 20, it's like, yes, God knows everything. We're like, that's right. Isn't it odd that we use that as an expression of doubt in the way in which we use our language? Well, how's the election going to turn out? Well, God only knows. How bad are the dogs going to beat everybody next year? God only knows. How am I going to make it through what I've got going on right now? Well, God only knows. No, that's not an expression of our doubt. It ought not be. That's an expression of our confidence. God knows. And His grace is sufficient. He knew all of this beforehand and saved me still. God knows. So I can have confidence before God because I have confidence in God. Beloved, look at verse 21. If our heart does not condemn us, we have confidence before God. As he left to ourselves, our hearts do condemn us. Our sin is ever before us. Our failures to trust in him, to do what we know is right. There's none righteous. No, not one. We can look back across the span of our own lives and we can say, I've, I've sinned far more than I ever thought I would. Our conscience testifies against us. The Word of God testifies against us. The law hounds us to humility. What is our hope? Repent and believe in Jesus. Turn away from your sin and trust in Jesus Christ as Savior and Lord. Receive Him by grace through faith, and you will hear the echo of Romans 8.1. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Beloved, Brothers and sisters in Christ, if our heart does not condemn us, we have confidence before God. At rest in the finished work of Christ. At rest in Him that He is our advocate before the Father. We've had those times where we know what it is to have a ruptured relationship. And God reconciled us to Himself through His Son. See, you must receive him. See, some of y'all have been flirting with this confidence for a long time and still have yet to receive it. Some of you are looking at it and and thinking to yourself, that sure would be nice. Instead of receiving him as your own. He says, if our heart does not condemn us, and the only way that's going to happen is if you repent and believe in Jesus, but if our heart does not condemn us, we have confidence before God. It's like going into a place with a whole bunch of, you know, dignitaries and whatever else, and you got a little kid running around, and he's running in there, and everybody's like, what's this kid doing here? And then finally somebody pulls the little kid aside and be like, What right do you think you have to be here? And he looks at the one who's in charge and is like, that's my father. And then it's like, welcome. Our heavenly father, who holds all this together, 
we have confidence before him. Because of what he's done for us in sending Jesus to die on the cross for our sin and rise from the dead. Trust him. Trust him to save you. Trust him to grow you. Trust him to guide you. Trust him to lead you. Trust him to correct you when you're wrong. Don't come into his word with all your own opinions and say, I'm going to make this mean what I want it to mean. Come saying, Lord, teach me, correct me, grow me, guide me, shape me for your glory because your word is more important than whatever I've got to say. I trust you, Lord. But see, the question becomes, okay, well, if we have confidence before God, what do you do with it? How do you use it? How do you, what, what do you do with confidence before someone who is so powerful? And then we're reminded from the text itself that confidence before God ought to fuel our prayers. We will, we will be confident in asking for help if we really believe He's able to do it. The reason some of us scratch our heads when we're at Walmart about whether or not we're ever going to ask for help is because we're not actually confident we're going to get help. The reason some of us, when we're looking around for something in our house, right, we get sort of proud about it, be like, I can find it all on my own. You don't want to ask anybody else where something might be, and you're digging everything out, throwing it all over the place, is because you're not confident in somebody else. To your own shame, might I add. How bold are our prayers before the Lord? How confident are we that He's really able to do what He's promised He will do? Why not pray bold prayers? If we believe this, if we believe that God Himself reconciled a hell-bound sinner to Himself in us, how dare we not pray boldly before Him who has set us in such a position of confidence? And that our, our, the boldness of our prayers reflects the extent of our own confidence in who God is and what He has done. Notice what He says here. He says in verse 22, And whatever we ask, we receive from Him, because we keep His commandments and do what pleases Him. Now be careful here. Because we read this, we're like, well, I can think of a lot to ask for here. And see, our sinful hearts, our sinful tendencies can easily turn an expression of humble trust into an expression of self-serving pride. God is not our genie. God does not work for you. God is Lord. Jesus is Lord. He answers our prayers according to His will. And all of this is an exercise of trust in Him. Even all, every opportunity we have to pray for one another is an exercise of trust in Him. Lord, do what we cannot. But Father, we trust Your will and Your way in doing that very thing. Trusting that His way is best, that He gives and withholds at His discretion. I loved how one commentator about this text itself put it. He said it this way, Prayer is the means that God uses to give His people what He wants. He says, whatever we ask, we receive from Him. Because we keep His commandments and do what pleases Him. 
Keeping his commandments is a way of exercising confidence in him, isn't it? Instead of just doing whatever you want to do throughout your life and being like, well, God, just give me whatever I want so I can do whatever I want to do. In keeping his commandments, you're saying, I'm not going to do whatever I want to do. I'm going to trust that your way is best. I'm going to live life confident in you on a day-by-day, moment-by-moment basis based on your instruction and as his instruction informs our lives, our lives committed to him and to his way and to his glory then all of a sudden you will express an eagerness in prayer to see more of what you live out in obedience. Because you're going to walk in the wonders of knowing Jesus as Savior and Lord in the joys of sowing the seed of the gospel and making disciples and the, the joys of just rejoicing always and praying without ceasing and giving thanks in all circumstances. You're going to walk in those, those ways along the way and then you're going to say, Lord, give me more of that. Because what I was asking for isn't enough. What I was asking for isn't, isn't best. That even as a child, if you constantly disregard the instruction of your parents, are you confident to ask them for anything? I mean, if you come up before them and be like, look, I know I haven't listened to anything you've had to say for the past six years, but can you give me a thousand dollars? Be like, no? You kidding me? Obedience to him is a moment-by-moment expression of our confidence in him. And it fuels our prayers. It shapes our prayers. He says, and we, we, whatever we ask, we receive from him because we keep his commandments. And so things, everything is, in life is being shaped around what he's doing and who he is and how he has declared these things. And we do what pleases Him. And see, this qualifies our asking as well, doesn't it? Lord, give me a million dollars so I can go be more covetous. Nope. See, it shapes the way we start to think about it. This is all about His glory and what pleases Him. Don't ask for what you know is wrong. Don't say, Lord, should I lie to my boss? Lord, should I watch this show that I know I should never watch? Lord, should I walk away from my marriage when I know you've called me not to? Lord, should I, should I go down this immoral road when I know you've told me I shouldn't do this, but I'm going to do it anyway? Will you bless it? See how the thinking and the living in a way in which pleases him and obedient to his commandments fuels and feeds our confidence before him in prayer. And it's like the more you become like him and the closer to him you get, the more confident you become and you live to please him and so that every opportunity of life just becomes an expression of worship. All the opportunities we've had together to sing and to read his word and to follow him. See, it builds confidence. It's like you're seeing his work moment by moment by moment. See, we had a wonderful time on Thursday night and it was amazing. And what God is doing. But don't overlook the fact that God is doing great things right now as well. Just because things may look a little different than they did on Thursday night doesn't mean God has somehow given up. 
He's at work in this place, and our confidence rests in him. Not what we can see, not what we can discern, not what we can make happen. It's all in him, his will, and what he is doing and has called us to. Have confidence before God by having confidence in God. In deed and in truth. And then we ought to have confidence before God in the way in which we trust Jesus and do what we have been commanded. Look at what he says in verse 23. He says, this is his commandment that we believe in the name of his son, Jesus Christ, and love one another just as he commanded us. Root our confidence in him. That if you're looking at it like on a, on a game board or something, it's like, well, I'm looking for the starting line. Where do I start? You start right here. This is the commandment, that we believe in the name of His Son, Jesus Christ. You believe in Him. You turn away from your sin. You turn away from trusting yourself, and you trust in Jesus. See, we don't mind trusting in a good name. That's why we like name brand things, right? And all of us are weird about whatever your name brand thing might be. It might be a dish, right? It might be a jacket. It might be a type of shoe, some people are weird about their cars or trucks or whatever else. We've got name brand phones, name brand this. There's a reason more, y'all are all the more eager to line up at Chick-fil-A than you are at Crunchy Chicken. It's not a knock on Crunchy Chicken, I'm just saying. We like the name brands. The name of Jesus is on our salvation. His name is all over it. Trust in his name and who he is and what he has done. Notice even how the text speaks of him. Believe in the name of his son, the son of God, the second person of the Trinity, who's fully God and fully man. Fully God in the sense that he could endure the full outpouring of the wrath of God and say it is finished. And fully man in the sense that he could substitute himself for us. His name is Jesus, whose name itself means Yahweh saves, the promised one across all the ages, who is the Christ, his title, the Messiah, the anointed one who fulfills all the anointed roles of the Old Testament. Only he could do what is necessary. Only he could live and die and rise for us in our place. And so everything about our salvation just looks to him. I trust you. Put your name on my life. This is the commandment. That as we float through life trying to have confidence in this, that, and the other, and it's just like rope slipping through our hands, the only hope that you actually have, the only hope that you could ever actually get is through trusting in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Trust in Him. That He saves and He redeems and He reconciles and He justifies and He calls. And He who began a good work in you will bring it to completion in the day of Christ Jesus. And if He so loved us, then we ought to love one another just as He commanded us. Are we confident enough in God to do this? To love one another in truth? That trusting in Jesus is not simply a one-time event. It's a life. That you can say, okay, well, some one and others are a little easier to love than others. That may be the case. That is the case. 
Look at the love of Christ. Look at how he's loved us. If he so loved us, he knew good and well when he commanded us in John 13, 34, and John 15, 12, and John 15, 17 to love one another. He knew good and well that he would have to equip us and oh, how good he is because he has. And that obeying this commandment is just like exercising our confidence. And that any exercise that's going to bear a long-term benefit requires repeated activity. I mean, you can lift weights once a year if you want to, but you're not really going to get anything out of it. You can do your cardio workout for four days after the turn of the new year, and then after a while it's like, i got to get rid of this treadmill. I want my donuts back. But if you don't follow on in the exercise, you're not going to get any long-term benefit out of it. See, loving one another is a way in which we constantly exercise our confidence in Him. And that we enjoy the benefits of it because not only does He command us to do this, notice what He says in verse 24, whoever keeps His commandments abides in God and God in Him. And by this we know that He abides in us by the Spirit whom He has given us. That our obedience does not cause our abiding. Our obedience is proof of abiding. And the way in which we're even able to abide in the truth and follow His commandments is because the Spirit's at work within us. But that's only true of the believer. Whoever keeps His commandments abides in God. Like John 15, where you're just drawing strength and life from Christ. Are you confident of your abiding with Him? How's your obedience? That every aspect of your life is meant to be abiding in Him, knowing that God abides in us when you know Jesus Christ is your Savior and Lord. So that's going to shape the way you approach marriage. That's going to shape the way you plan your life. It's going to shape the way you think about retirement. It's going to shape the way in which you think about everything. That God is in us. His presence is known to us. His fruit, the fruit of His character, the gratitude and grace, the kindness and compassion, the holiness and humility, the forbearance and the faithfulness. It's like our life becomes a garden where He's just plopping seeds one after another and we're just enjoying the fruit. By this we know that He abides in us by the Spirit whom He has given us. That our confidence rises when you know you have everything you need. When you get to work tomorrow morning and you're looking around and you you got all the stuff that you need to do your job, then you feel confident that you're able to do that. It's one of the reasons you go to school, right? You want to learn the things that you need to learn so that you can confidently approach life itself. Are we so confident in Him that we see that He has equipped us with everything that we need for everything that He has called us to? The Spirit whom He has given us. We've got no more excuses. He gave Himself to save us through the death of His own Son. He gives Himself to bring us to obedience through the wonder of His Holy Spirit. The Spirit that makes us alive together in Christ Jesus, that shines the light of the gospel, that calls us out of darkness into His marvelous light, who brings us to redemption and restores us. 
So that wherever you are this morning, in whatever circumstance you find yourself, and you're looking at it and be like, I, I can't obey. For every way in which you can look at your life and you can say that, or maybe you're trying to say that, I just can't obey in this circumstance. No, the Holy Spirit is present to strengthen us and convict us and lead us and guide us and work in us to do that which is pleasing in His sight. So that everything about our lives, everything about our salvation, everything about our Christian growth, everything about Christian maturity, everything about walking with Christ, everything about being His disciple, our confidence is not in ourselves. It's in God Himself. In His Son, Jesus Christ. And it is Holy Spirit at work within us. Trust not in what we can. Trust in who God is and what he does. Whoever keeps his commandments abides in God. And God in him and by this we know that he abides in us by the spirit whom he has given us. But I wonder in reading all of this wonderful passage of Scripture here, in your own heart and in your own life, do you have confidence before God? If everything were to be stripped away and life itself came to an end in this moment right now, Would you have confidence before him? On what basis? On whom are you relying? Who is it that you're trusting here this morning? Because for some in here, maybe you need to get this right from the start. Maybe you've been trusting in yourself all along and the Holy Spirit has brought conviction upon you. Start with the gospel. No one is righteous. Not one. We've sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. We've lied and lusted. We've acted in pride and idolatry. We've been disregard, disobedient to our parents. We've disregarded His holiness in more ways than we could even possibly count. We stand condemned by our own actions and our own hearts. But God in love sent his son. God demonstrates his own love for us in this, that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. That all who would turn away from their sin and trust in Jesus, who would repent and believe that Jesus died on the cross for your sin and rose from the dead, you'll have forgiveness and everlasting life and his spirit will move into you. Transform everything about your life. And then all the grasping around for confidence that you lived your life in, in absolute shame and in fear and knowing that it was never good enough and you'd never get there. In Christ, He's enough. He's everything you need. Are you confident before God this morning by being confident in him and what he has done for you. You have another opportunity today to repent and believe.
for all of us in here who are believers, though? How's your confidence being expressed? Take a look in your own obedience. Take a look in your own prayers. And maybe just take a moment and bring all of that before the Lord. And say, Lord, forgive me for trying to do this all on my own. I trust you. However the Spirit leads in your heart and life this morning, I invite you. Respond to him. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for Jesus. Thank you that you so understand how bad a circumstance we have made for ourselves that you knew good and well we could never get ourselves out of it. So you sent your son to save us. Father, forgive us for how we put too much confidence in ourselves. Forgive us for shallow prayers. Forgive us for lackluster obedience. And stir our hearts anew and afresh to walk in confidence before you because we live in confidence in you. And Father, we pray this morning and we pray right now for the the people who are here who have never known you, who have never actually repented of their sin, who have never actually turned away from anything to trust in you, who are still hanging on to every shameful piece of baggage that they have dragged through their life. Father, in your love and in your grace, call them to let it go and to look to you And to find forgiveness and everlasting life through faith in Jesus crucified and resurrected for them. God, by your spirit and for your glory, increase our confidence in you as we cry out to you.